Mumon Khan, case 34, nonsense, wisdom is not the way. Nansen said, mind is not the Buddha. Wisdom is not the way. Mumon's comment. Nansen, growing old, had no shame. Just opening his stinking mouth, he let slip the family secrets. Yet there are very few who are grateful for his kindness. Mumon's verse. The sky is clear. The sun is shining. Rain falls, the earth is saturated with nothing held back, everything explained. Yet how few are able to appreciate it. So today we meet with Nansen, Nansen Fugan Zenji. Some of you know Nansen quite well. Nansen kills the cat. Nansen's ordinary mind is the way. Nansen's not mind. These are uh, case 27. His other one is nonsense, not mind, not Buddha, not things. And yesterday we heard Basso's no mind, no Buddha. So all of these koans are intimately related today. Wisdom is not the way. Yesterday, no mind, no Buddha. And some months ago, not mind, not Buddha, not things. Yesterday I told you about Basso's 139 Dharma heirs. One of the greatest of these was Nansen. And Basso received transmission directly in line from our sixth ancestor, Winang Eno. And Basso's heirs included not only Nansen, not only Daibai, of whom we heard yesterday, but also Hyakujo, Hyakujo Ekai, and 
Among Hyakujo's heirs was Obaku Kiyun. Obaku, also known in Chinese as Wangbo. We have been studying Wangbo's transmission of mind for quite a few, I don't know, years in Dharma study and still have not thoroughly digested, let alone exhausted it. And of course, who was Obaku's Dharma heir? Rinzai Gigen Zenji Daiosho. So even if you haven't yet memorized the entire Teidai Denpo, our lineage, I would hope that at least through coming to session and hearing about these great masters, that you would know the Tang dynasty in which they lived, that you would know who was whose successor. And on down, this is your family, all right? This is not just some bunch of guys who lived many, many centuries ago. These are our intimate ancestors. Well, what can we say about these mighty masters? We can say one thing. They all came to their realization, not haphazardly, even though many of the stories seem to indicate, oh, it just so happened he was raking and a little stone hit the bamboo and then, wow! Or he heard someone say, this very mind, and he got it. How many times had he heard this very mind before? Maybe a billion in that day and age. How many times have you heard how many morning stars did Buddha Shakyamuni see before he saw the star? So what we can say of all these masters who came to profound realization is it wasn't at all haphazard. Yes, the spontaneity of that moment, because of all the grinding discipline, because of session, they didn't have such a wonderful organized session as we have. They didn't have such care given to every detail. Maybe that was why they all came to such mighty realizations. We should all just go out into the woods. I dare say that when you go out into the woods, you're not sitting in full lotus without getting up until the next Shinrei. This matter of discipline, we tend to have some idea about spontaneity. Zen sounds very appealing to all you old hippies. <laughs> oh, I'll just go and wake up. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll live a life of complete freedom. Wherever I walk will be my true home. Sounds great, okay. 
So then we begin practice. And there are all these rules about practice. And we do session. And every single moment is accounted for. Well, not so much here. We're very, very relaxed in our session here. Very lenient. We have lunch at 12, and then nothing until 2 o'clock. And even so, people wait. Shinrei is at 10 of 2. People are still straggling in at 5 of. Te Dai Denpo. What's that? 6.30. 6.20, there's a Shinrei. Oh, good. Now it's time for me to dot, dot, dot. I don't know what you're doing. But at 6.29, you're still arriving in the Zendo. What is that all about? This is the way our mind works. I can be free to do anything. That's what Zen is all about. Zen is all about organization, planning, How do you think this session came into being? We just said, oh, let's have session. (laughs) So many people working very hard to make this happen. We must learn. We must study. We must plan. We must memorize. Then, coming from this intensive It's a truly labor-intensive approach. After we've read all the sutras, after we've memorized all morning service, after, then we can say, truly, words and phrases. Don't begin to touch it. If you haven't memorized everything, Don't think for a moment that words are unnecessary, all right? Unless we give such careful attention, such careful, studious attention to our lives, we're just like a cork bobbing in the water. I'm sure that's a feeling that's familiar. This wave comes, another wave comes. Knocked about to and fro. This is not like flowing with the stream. (laughs) Very different feeling. How do we live in a way that is not knocked about? This takes discipline. Especially when you feel, I don't like it. If something arises... That's too hard. I can't do it. My legs hurt. My memory's not good enough. They can all do it, but I can't. I'm special. If you feel this way, I guarantee waves will knock you about, not only through the rest of this life, this life, the next life, life after life. So, All of this is reminding me of the tea ceremony, which gives us many, many helpful suggestions for how to live. Some of you may be familiar with 
Chanoyu tea ceremony, one of the great maxims is one act, one time. This is very different from the way most of us live. Even during session, well, if I could just do that and on my way, I'll take that in. Of course, when it comes time to sit, mind is still frazzled. Senyo Rikyu's rules of tea, seven rules of tea begin. First, lay the charcoal. Well, that seems perfectly obvious, doesn't it? Lay the charcoal. What is it that we need to do to prepare for, for Taisho? Lay the charcoal. And so someone plunks the charcoal down, doesn't notice that the candle is half an inch off center. And hearing such a thing, some irritation comes up and we think, what's the big deal anyway? What kind of nonsense is this? Some kind of OCD thing. Everything. Okay, there's a wonderful word, rectitude. 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 Straighten your spine. This in itself is all you need to know. To sit with rectitude. All right? If I come here and I'm sitting like this, I guarantee that nothing, nothing that I say. <laughs> so, you know, you think, oh, she's nice and fresh and has all this energy. I'm, at this, I'm tired. I'm tired. So what? My legs hurt. So what? So sit up straight. That's what. Chant more energetically. Give it your all. First, lay the charcoal. And another one of his rules that I have spoken about before is prepare for rain. Prepare for the unexpected because that's all you'll get. <laughs> if you think, oh, such and such, and then I'm going to do that, and this is what I've got, and this is what I'm going to do, and uh-uh. Prepare for rain. Spontaneity comes because you have given your entire being over to thinking what is needed, what is appropriate, what may be the case. I don't know, but I will do everything I can so that when what is expected doesn't happen, flexible mind means Everything that happens is exactly perfect. With nothing we could possibly think of ahead of time is as good as what is happening right now. Did you ever think about that? Imagine, maybe you put my whole talk together already. 
Well, maybe a great disappointment to you what I say. Maybe. But nothing you could possibly come up with could be as wonderful as what the universe gives. Now, many, many, many people have received what they don't want. This is not funny. Not at all. Not at all. There's uh, an issue of the Zen bow that came out from Rochester. And this issue is dedicated to Philip Kaplow, who, as you know, passed away earlier this year. And on the cover, it has a quote from his writing. Zen is the heart of the Buddha's teaching, and as such, it deals with the most fundamental problem of all, birth and death, a mystery every human being must resolve. This is so important. Must resolve. This means not being tossed about, but truly with grinding discipline again and again, looking into it. What is this? Don't wait. And then he says, people are not given the choice as to whether this is something they want to deal with. As many of us know. He goes on, it is our nature the nature of life, to have to deal with it. It is the teaching of teachings, for it is inescapable. Inescapable. And Bodin, his Dharma heir, writes about attachment, loss, pain, and freedom in this issue. And he says, as long as we inhabit the world of samsara, there is, there is no ultimate escape. We are in this world of samsara, of birth and death and birth and death and birth and death. And there is no escape. But yet, within this samsaric realm, and only within this samsaric realm, comes nirvana. It is not somewhere out there, but right here. Milarepa, a great Tibetan teacher, put it this way, all worldly pursuits have but one unavoidable and inevitable end, which is sorrow. Acquisitions end in dispersion. Buildings in destruction. Meetings in separation. Births in death. Knowing this, one should from the very first renounce acquisition and heaping up and building and faithful to an eminent teacher set about realizing the truth which has no birth or death. So we all know 
the four noble truths that the Buddha taught. The noble truth of suffering, the noble truth of the origin of suffering, which is being ignorant that all that arises disappears. All that has form must go back to the formless. And the third noble truth, when we have really looked into this matter of clinging and aversion, of fear, of the inability to let go of all our conceptualization of the way things are. And this is, by the way, what these koans are all pointing to. We hear today's and we think, well, what does he mean by wisdom is not the way? What does he mean by ordinary mind is the way? What is ordinary mind? How can it be that wisdom is not the way? What do we think of when we hear the word wisdom? Do we have some feeling that it's something we need to get? Some craving? Some kind of conceptualization is taking place when we hear something like Buddha, mind, wisdom, way. To cut through all of these things, to knock it down. What have you put up that needs to be knocked down? Each one of these koans is telling you, knock down. What have you erected? Knock down. Knock down. Buddha. Knock down. Mind. Knock down. Wisdom. Knock down. Way. We really have to get rid of all these things we hold dear. What is Zen? Start fresh. What is it when you get rid of it all? What is it? Not this, not that. What is it? The Buddha said, this Dharma is like a raft. This Dharma is like a raft. So we heard yesterday. The Buddha teaching must be relinquished. How much more so misteaching? What is misteaching? Misunderstanding, misteaching. What is the fundamental misunderstanding? I'll go back to Bowdoin's article. The central problem is our clinging to thought. And as far as thought attachments go, 
The notion of a separate self is in a class by itself. It is the reference point for all other forms of clinging to thought. So as we sit, many, many things are coming up. Yesterday, somebody said something wonderful, so I will quote it. He said, I realize that session is not a retreat. (laughs) Jim just arrived. Sorry, Jim. Not a retreat. It's a laboratory for the intense examination of the self. This is really a laboratory. It's a labor, labor. Labor. We're all in labor, okay? To give birth to true self. This is truly a laboratory. Look closely. Don't take all of those assumptions that you have about why you're here. Get rid of them all. Knock it down. Knock it down. Lose it. Maybe you've heard this saying, while alive, be a dead person. While alive, be a dead person, thoroughly dead, and then all will be well. This is the second noble truth, okay? Just a little bit more of that. I don't want that. Cut. Cut. Cut the root. Please don't uh, misunderstand, while alive, be a dead person. Well, don't make two misunderstandings. One, I'm sure nobody will think this is my uh, instruction, I should go kill myself. And nevertheless, there's another misunderstanding, which is, oh, Zen is without any uh, feeling. It's just (laughs) be a dead person, walk around like, stone. It's really terrible misunderstanding. While alive, be a dead person, thoroughly dead. Thoroughly cut the root of all your clinging. This you can do. This is what has been done over and over and over. It's why we're here today, following this endless way. Then, third noble truth unfolds all by itself. Cessation, nirvana. Because of the mud of all that craving and all that aversion, because of the mud of our passions, because of the mud of our emotions, because of the mud of all our anger and fear, this lotus flower can bloom. You can bloom. Not at all in a vacuum, and certainly not in some kind of sterile environment. Bodin says, we are receptive to the dharma of non-attachment and respond to it, this third noble truth, because our essential nature is enlightenment. 
and yearns to realize itself. We just chanted Hakuin Zenji's Song of Zazen. How does it start? It's the same. We are receptive to this teaching of non-attachment because we know it. We know it from some deep, deep place within. So many of you have had experiences, tastes of this, not just in your Zazen years, but even earlier, through loss, in fact, comes great understanding. I think about my mother. She had a really hard time as a young woman at 19. She met my father and war was breaking out. And they were so in love. He had to go to training and she was pregnant. When I was born in 1943, there was a great shortage of doctors and nurses. So many women also, because their husbands, like my mother's, were going to war, had become pregnant. And there were so many women giving birth that nobody was around to take care of them where she was in Brooklyn. So they stuck her on a stretcher in the hallway. Nobody giving any guidance. Oh, nowadays, you know, we have birthing rooms and we have all kinds of people around and lamas and medication if we don't like breathing. (laughs) There was absolutely no one helping her. She lay on that stretcher and thought she was going to die. But she didn't, and we went back home, and four months later, her dear father died of a heart attack while putting together my crib in his house while she went to visit my father in Fort Benning, Georgia. This father of hers was so much her soulmate. He was a brilliant scholar who was an immigrant from Russia and so could never really lead that life, but his daughter was doing so. And they had such a great rapport. And then after his passing, Another year, my father was killed. And when she remarried and had two more children, years passed, and my brother was killed when he was 20. This, over and over and over, being faced with this terrible loss after loss, My mother doesn't practice Zen. I do that. (laughs) But I truly have such a great 
feeling of being with someone who really gets it when I'm with her. So she is now 83 or so. Don't know how much longer we will be together. And so it goes. Birth, death, birth, death. And yet, there is this truth. As Milarepa said, is birthless and deathless. One of the attendant emotions upon loss is a deep, deep loneliness, as you know. Someone was telling me about the loss of his mother when he was 15. This terrible loneliness. Katagiri Roshi was asked by one of his students, knowing of his difficult life, she asked, are you lonely? He said, yes. But I don't let it toss me around. It's just loneliness, she asked. Do you ever get over it? I never get used to it. It shocks me each time. But I've learned to stand up in it. Being alone is the terminal abode. You can't go any deeper in your practice if you run from it. How wonderful for us to hear such words. Because in session, as you've noticed in your examination in this laboratory of the self, there is a lot of running. There is a lot of avoiding. There is a lot of searching for distraction of any kind. Pain will do. You can't run from it. What is mind? What is Buddha? What is wisdom? What is the way? What is Senyovikyu's final instruction? Make a delicious bowl of tea. Just this. After all that preparation, Forget about it. Just make a delicious bowl of tea. Just be a host. Just be a guest. What is it to create everything with such thoughtfulness so that when your guests enter, they feel without even knowing. They feel how much care you have taken with the flowers. No big deal arrangement. Oh, yeah, these are rare and precious. And No, no. 
Sendo Rikyu used to look for old Korean uh, kitchenware, his most prized tea bowls. Now they cost $50 million. This is what happens in our wonderfully enlightened civilization. Years later, they go into a glass case with a price tag. But really, to be a host, this is what we are all doing here. We are hosts for each other. It's not that the residents are a host or that I'm a host. Each one of us, how, this is rectitude, how you put your sutra book down, how you arrange your seat when you get up. Do the jishas have to go and take care of it for you? What kind of practice is that? To be so unaware? To be a guest, to really understand and appreciate. As this verse says, nothing is held back, but how few are able to appreciate it. So much gets in the way. So many assumptions, expectations. We can't be a guest. To truly be a guest, host and guest, this is a very important principle of our practice, to understand host and guest. At any one moment, we are host or guest, always shifting. And underlying all of these many manifestations of being host and guest to each other. As I said, deep concern, deep caring, and deep gratitude. If you have these feelings, then no need to worry about anything. Should you do this? Maybe it means something like that. None of that will come up. Just simply caring, taking note, making sure it's done properly, it's well organized ahead of time, nobody has to be asked to do anything extra. And then to appreciate, relax, sit down on your cushion and just breathe. So getting rid of our conceptions, just the bell rings we put on our robe, just Jikichisu strikes the inkin, we sit down. This ordinary mind is the way. This wisdom is not the way, no big deal, no such thing as wisdom. How to come to a clear understanding is what we are here to do. Mumon's comment, Nansen, growing old, had no shame. This old guy, he just gave it all away. Just opening his stinking mouth. (gasps) (laughs) Rotting old teeth. So Mumon is always saying things that sound very... Um, what? Huh? Crass. Crass or 
rebuking or in some way not appreciating, not, not uh, admiring. Oh, such a great Zen master said such and such. Wow. Wisdom. Wow. The way. Wow. Okay, Mumon's like, not. <laughs> this is important for us to remember because we are so given to thinking it's somewhere that we can buy it, you know, that tea bowl. <laughs> he let slip the family secrets. He let slip this, 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 not. Watch out. You immediately make a concept out of not. And thus, there are very few who are grateful for his kindness, Mumon says. Very few really can say thank you for your kesaku. Kindness in Zen terms is not what we think. Oh, let me do this for you. I'm going to make this right. It's not right, but I can make it right. I don't think so. Dare to say wrong. It's not some kind of mealy-mouthed thing that we're doing here. Stinking. Okay. This kindness of the Kesako. So the verse, the sky, this morning, so clear. The other day, rain was falling, ground saturated. By tonight, more rain will fall. This is ordinary mind. This is mind is not Buddha, not wisdom, not way, just sky clears, sun, moon, last night's moon. Tonight, no moon. This is wisdom, is not the way. With nothing held back, nothing at all. There isn't a thing in the universe that is being held back from you. What do you crave? What do you lack? Don't hold yourself back. Don't hold back from the universe. Be a host. Then everything is explained. Everything is at hand. So do appreciate this. There was a poet who said, Now that I am deaf, I can clearly hear the sound of the dew. <laughs> 